The business environment is saturated with companies. And this is why it is imperative for companies to have a solid marketing strategy that fosters a brand identity that is different than any other company out there. And when they do that, make themselves look unique, let them build a relationship with their prospects. And when they build that relationship, it will instill trust and cultivate loyal customers. Those are the companies you're gonna see that have a nice gradual increase in growth year after year. They won't be stuck on that roller coaster ride. Today, my guest is Chris Burgrave. Chris is an author of two books Marketing is Not a Black Hole, and Marketing is Finance, Marketing is Business. But before we jump in, my name is Donna Peterson, and you are listening to the B2B Marketing Excellence Podcast where I go around the world speaking with business leaders about their industry, what marketing works, what's not working, and how can we as companies stand out, be unique, and build those relationships that will show our companies grow year after year. Hi, Chris. How are you today? Hey, great. Yourself? I'm doing wonderful, and I cannot wait to hear about your two books. You have those two books. What it's, it's marketing is not the black hole and marketing is finance is business. Yes. And why did you decide to write those books? No, I would say because it was calm and composed, but essentially because I got angry. Um, or angry or let's say disappointed with the way people started to see how marketing was defined. So if the first book was called Marketing is Finance is Business is because I believed and the feedback I'm getting over, um, I got at the time was finance is business and marketing is not. Uh, so what I wanted to reestablish is that marketing is business and actually marketing is finance and then create the argument for why that is. That was the essential part of how I got into it, to say it's time we plead again. Uh, the people that are 30, 40 years into marketing, they take back control over what the definition, the original definition of marketing is. It isn't social media. And that's a very good point because, you know, like we were discussing earlier in the schools, they're really not teaching all the facets of marketing, starting with some of the traditional marketing, which you need to have a strong understanding of that basis as you go forward and try to develop campaigns. Marketing was developed, the marketing as we know it, the four Ps, was developed in the 60s with Neil McCarthy and Kotler, etc. Yes. What I found out is uh, I also teach uh, regularly at various universities. I talked to many deans and said, show me the curriculum of marketing. And what you find is that digital equates marketing these days and mm -hmm. that the original thinking around marketing being a general management function is slowly but surely getting lost. Uh, so where marketing was the four P's, the P of, the P of which the P of promotion was one of them and the rest yeah. was fly, uh, price, place uh, and um, product, 
today it's been reduced to this 1P, actually in a subset of this 1P called social media. The students see it that way, some new faculty see it this way, and as a result, people that graduate and come into the workforce see marketing as that very narrow area. And I think that's why sometimes it's not taken seriously at top management, because top management is up here thinking about all the other things within the business, <clears throat> but they see marketing just as the social media side. And if that's how you see marketing, depending on what your product and service is. So if you have a very expensive piece of equipment, let's say it's an HPLC machine, you might say, hey, I don't need marketing because they're classifying it more as social media and you're not going to sell an expensive piece of equipment on a social post. Now, one of the discussions is that when you, when you go to, when you look at a company from a senior management perspective, you need to talk the language of money. Mm -hmm. And if you don't talk the language of money, if you don't understand first, what a cash flow statement is, what a PL is, what a balance sheet is, which most marketers don't mm -hmm. uh, and don't want to, they're afraid of it. That means that they don't talk the language of the, C of the CEO, of the CFO and of the board. And right there is the fundament of the major disconnect between what I would say is Mars and Venus. You know, the old joke of men and women and Mars yes, and Venus. Yes, yes, yes. There's a similar one here, stereotypically speaking, between marketing and finance. The most non-marketers see marketing as people from venus they're the dreamers they're yeah. they invest Create, they, yeah. this way the money disappears into a black hole mm -hmm. uh, and never comes back mm -hmm. whereas marketing sees themselves as the creators of something magical but they can't translate that magic into something that speaks money right. so then this i was going to ask you this question later on but i want to ask you now because it sounds like it's perfect you have been the executive chairman of several companies how do you communicate that to them about marketing and what they should be doing with marketing and why do they say yes to you? Because I, what I looked at, well, look, I've been 33 years, 34 years in the business, uh, 23 years for classic FMCG companies in the last 10 years in the B2B side, uh, working with a lot of uh, startups, scale-ups, larger companies, but all in B2B. And... Again, the, the lesson is you need to speak the language of money. The, the Rosetta Stone, if you will, the Rosetta Stone equivalent I found, I found to translate marketing into language of finance is the notion that brands, strong brands, are defined as brands that create sustainable pricing power. Okay. It's all about sustainable pricing power. Now, pricing and pricing power are notions that a CFO and the CEO and a board understand. It's tangible, it's non-discussable, you have it or you don't. Uh, the definition of pricing power is what somebody like Warren Buffett would use to define as a cold investor if you would invest in a company or not. Do you have pricing power or don't you? Right. So the, the key lesson as a marketer is that if you stay in the language, the voodoo language of marketing, which is very useful within the marketing function where you serve unmet needs or underserved needs and you create demand and all that is a, a is a language of input and output mm -hmm. what finance wants is the not the input and output but the outcome of that work yeah. and the outcome is a money outcome that they can take to the bank in two ways a you can measure it 
via pricing and pricing power via the PL. Mm-hmm. And in the end, what does a brand, what is a brand? A brand is an intangible asset on the balance sheet. And as a board, your fiduciary duty is to nurture the assets on your balance sheet. That's essentially the Rosetta Stone. So by translating brands into the notion of sustainable pricing power and nurturing intangible assets, now all of a sudden you speak the language of the boards. Yeah. And that makes sense because, excuse me, that makes sense because I was at a client recently and they had the big whiteboard and we had all the numbers up there and they said, okay, Donna, out of this, we did all these emails, we did all this. This was our number of leads, which calculated to our sales. What do you think? And I said, well, are you giving any value to the branding that we're doing with the campaign? And they said, no, we don't care about branding. And of course, I have a problem with that being a marketer. I said, you have to care about branding. But I understood where he was coming from because he needed to put a dollar figure to it so that when he speaks to upper management, he can say, okay, we did these marketing campaigns. Everything came down. This is how much we got in sales. Now, the, the way to, to uh, accentuate this is that brands in the end is about meaningful differentiation. If, yes. you don't, if you don't want to be in the commodity business and you don't compete on costs, in a commodity business, you compete on costs. Yes. In the branded business model, B2B, B2C, you compete on brand differentiation, mm-hmm. which means you compete on the ability to create a price premium. Yeah. Ultimately, that's the outcome. So I understand the discussion of how many leads and this and that. Again, there's an input-output discussion, which is a meaningful one on which you can have ROI debates. But that's input-output. Yes. The key thing I find in the de- that changes the debate between marketing and finance and makes marketing finance equals business is move the conversation from ROI on input and output to an outcome-centric discussion on pricing power. Measure, A, whether you have pricing power or not. And how do you know? In your business uh, or with your client, measure whether over the last three years you've been able to raise your price to your respective key customers at or above inflation, not CPI, the company's inflation, input cost. And have you been able to maintain or extend margins on that customer? If you have been able to, without losing volume, Okay. So there's yeah. two components to a definition. Warren Buffett's definition of pricing power is A, over the last three years, have you been able to raise price, net price, not wholesale, net, post mm-hmm. deductions, and without losing value or volume to a competitor? If you have this, then you have a brand. Yeah. If you don't have this, you have no brand or you have a very weak brand. It's very simple, it's black and white. Yes. And there's, there's no room for negotiation. The, 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 the likes of Goldman Sachs, uh, I mean, Bloomberg, everybody on Wall Street, during the, the last couple of years where inflation all of a sudden came in, inflation created a, a wedge between the boys and the men, the, the women and the girls, which is essentially <laughs> people with pricing power yes. and companies without pricing power. Mm-hmm. And they made lists of both. The question is, which one are you on? If you don't have it, you better get it back or you're moving to a commodity business. Right. If you if you do have it, you need to use it carefully because then you get into another issue. If you have pricing power, avoid abuse of it. There's the ethics of pricing power that you okay. and we can discuss examples of that. 
but most people don't have it. See, the, and that I think is where marketing is right now because it has to be. And it, we have several things happening right now, especially with all the AI that's coming up. And I'm worried that people are going to start using all these AI tools and they're going to become generic. You yep. know, if they're not careful and watch what's being generated to make sure it's unique to their brand or <clears> their <throat> voice, they're going to end up being like everyone else. And then, like you said, they don't have pricing power. It's just transactional. It's just you're trying to make a sale and it's about lowering your price maybe to get the sale. You're not going to be able to show who you truly are, build a really deep relationship with these people that gives you that pricing power. It all depends on, again, look at it from the, I always look at the company from the, the, the perspective of the owners. Yeah. Um, whether you're a small company and owned by a few people and private, whether you're a public company owned by, you know, uh, institutional investors and a bunch of retail investors, it doesn't change the equation that the board is responsible as has a fiduciary duty to grow those assets. Right. A brand is an intangible asset. The, over the last 50, 60 years, what has structurally happened in the market is that value creation, over 85% of value creation now comes from intangible assets. Intangible assets are brands, IP, software, customer relationships, uh, all of those less difficult to quantify for financial analysts uh, elements because they come from an, they love the tangible world. Right. Factories, yeah. cars, yeah. Uh, land, things that are easy to it's depreciate. Easy, easy and, to and calculate, yes. Easy to calculate. And 50 years ago, the, the Standard & Poor's, for example, more than 85% of value creation was done by tangible assets. Mm -hmm. Today, 50 years later, in today's day and age, a, take a company like Microsoft, Microsoft's core value, when you want to buy Microsoft, what are you buying? You're not buying land and, no, you're buying code, a name, yeah. you're buying an installed base, that yes. with blood, sweat, and tears over decades has <laughs> has materialized. Right. That's what you're buying. That's an intangible asset. Uh, many boards are not at ease with intangible assets because no. the discussion we often have is, how do you know what you're worth? Yes, that's right. How do you value it? How What's do you value it? There's many, there's many, I mean, there's... Again, I subjective, you know, well, there's this techniques for it. it. Accountants will give you plenty of yes. goodwill type. The only time you know what your brand is worth is when people buy you. Yeah. <laughs> and the next person has an intangible asset, a new one on their balance sheet with or without excess goodwill. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's when you know what you're worth. Yeah. Uh, that's the only time you know it, when you sell it. It's like Oscar Wilde, right? Uh, value yeah. in the eye of the beholder. Right. Um, right. Or beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Eye of the beholder. Yes, yes, yes. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> And so if you, if you come from the perspective of the owner and building this intangible asset, I think it's your fiduciary duty as a board not to get lost in the digital how of the marketing toolbox, but focus with the marketing leadership, the CEO and the CFO together and saying, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want you to work in silos. I want you to work together yes. and build me a intangible asset expressed in a brand with sustainable pricing power. The companies that do that win. Yeah. 
And so I know in your books, you started to talk about that critical connection between marketing, finance, and business growth, which you were just discussing. What were some of your successes that you've seen when you've done that? Well, there's, I sit in the board of, um, I work closely with the board of uh, Cartamundi. Cartamundi is a Belgian-based uh, company, but it's the world leader in playing cards. In the US, the uh, United States playing card company would be a, a, a subsidiary of uh, Cartamundi. Okay. Uh, a brand like Bicycle, which many people know, uh, is a brand that is owned by the Cartamundi Group, by United States Playing Card Company. It has a B2B and it has a B2C component. It works on the B2B side with the likes of Hasbro and Mattel and is a, yeah. uh, produces the monopolies and the clues and et cetera for others. <laughs> and on the B2C side, builds its own brands. Uh, so it's like a fast-moving consumer goods company like P&G, a house of brands that builds the brands. Um, since the last three years, I work with the board and have infused them with this thinking uh, mm -hmm. on pricing and pricing power. And as a result, between the board and senior management, between senior management and the, the key sales and marketing and financial leadership, there's a keen understanding of how pricing impacts the top line and how top line reflects and builds these uh, intangible assets. Okay. So, and over the last three years, this company, which has been voted by EY as one of the family companies of the year, I mean, is going gangbusters. Uh, Excellent. And one of the reasons is that from board down to senior management, down to the top middle management, and now as we cascade it further down, everybody down. gets infused in the idea. There is marketing and you use your language between you. Mm -hmm. but there is marketing is finance is business. And the way we bring that all together is not in ROI discussions on social media, yeah. but it's not about the how of marketing is in the why of marketing Right. is in measuring once a year, at least for all of the components of the business on B2B and B2C side, the pricing power progress we make. And so. that's so important when you can get the whole company one, it trickles down from the top, but you get everyone across all the different departments working together on one path towards one goal. That's when it's going to work. Like you said, separate silos isn't going to work. You, you Everybody's just a marketer. I mean, one of the key yeah. things we said, marketing is too important to be left to the marketeers. What we train the CFO in, you're a key marketer. When yeah. you discuss pricing, uh, I mean, and what we tell the senior marketers is you don't deserve to sit at the senior table at the adult table if you don't understand cash flow statement, PL, and balance sheet. You know, you need to learn the language of finance because yes. in the end, it's the language of money. It's the language of Wall Street as a proxy yeah. that determines the, the basic fiduciary duty of the board and senior management. So speak that language, start from there. Yeah. And hence the Rosetta Stone discussion sustainable pricing power and intangible assets. That's what we train everybody in. Great. That's a good, that's a nice success story <clears throat> and telling us, have you come across any challenges you've had trying to implement that? Well, what you have is, uh, what you need to have is, uh, I think it starts like in many companies, it starts from the CEO. Yeah. So if you have a CEO that is, well, no. Kind of set in their ways. <laughs> It, no, well, but it, no, it starts from, let me rephrase that. It starts from the time perspective a board has. So Cartamundi, in case, is a long-term oriented family-owned company mm -hmm. going to the eighth generation. 
Wow. So people think in generations. Oh, yeah. Uh, but if you work for a private equity-owned company that has a three-year horizon and has a particular goal to say, by this day, we want to sell out, it gives you, yeah. it gives a CEO a different set of parameters to yes. work against. If yes. you then say, how do I build pricing power in the next three years? It's much more challenging than if I if you have five or 10 years uh, to do it. It That's depends right. also what business you're in, in the yeah. cycle. If you're in a B2B company, B2B company and people buy your, they're in the market once every nine months or every 15 months to buy from you. Well, in three years, you're not going to change that much. No, no. So I think... There is no one size fits all. There no. is a, it always, but it it the, the the challenges start from the ownership of the company, yeah. The perspective they give, the mandate they give the CEO, and then from there, from there you then have the canvas to say, are we ready to build this intangible asset for the long term or not? Now, I yeah. believe, even in a, I, I, I am an LP in in a, in three four uh, different uh, venture capitalists. Yeah. Yeah. You have a typical 10 to 15 year type horizon uh, yeah. before you sell. Um, and in most companies, whether you're a family owned company or a, a private equity company, a board should build optionality in the assets, you know, which is I can either keep it and yeah. go for dividends or I yeah. can sell it and uh, et cetera. But you create optionality right. for those assets. Yes. That is your board role. Yeah. Now the CEO. Then again, this, back to the CEO and the middle management, depending on the directive that they get from the board, the, the, the ground is more or less fertile for the message of let's build pricing power. So yeah. how short term will they be focused? If they're fully, if you have one or two years to make things happen to, let's say, dress yeah. up the pig yes. uh, <laughs> and sell it with a nice, with lipstick yes. on it or with a nice bow tie around it, <laughs> you know, that's a different story. Now yeah. you're into a different speculative game and not building long-term brands. Yeah. The yep. problem will be for the next person. That's right. Yeah. And I totally Somebody understand. Somebody will get the problem. Yes, that's right. But it's not going to be yours because you're going to pass it on by then. So. And, but so then the key becomes, the key becomes for the next person buying it, know what you're buying, buy yes. or beware. And that's so right. the, the, the Alpha M tool, which I talk about in the book, uh, is a way to avoid buyer's remorse. It's essentially a tool, a set of questions uh, which was a prototype in book one and the, the fine-tuned version in book two, which is here is eight questions you should ask as an investor. Before you invest a dollar in company X, ask these questions and check your gut as to how good this company is in terms of marketing. Um, and it will check the why, the who, the what, and the how of marketing with eight questions. Yeah. The more evidence you can buy for those, the yeah. better, the higher the probability, you will not overpay. Yeah. That's the key thing. And I love that. You know, any of my previous podcasts, I'm talking about the why, the how, the what, all the time. And so we totally understand that. And when it comes to looking at different businesses, World Innovators, we're going to be 43 in August, 43 years old. We're only a second generation family at this point. But I know exactly what you're saying because our mindset and how we're setting up the company is very different than someone who might be working at it or going to sell it because as a family business, we are not looking to sell. So how we grow our company and what we do is different. You know, we're in here for the long haul. We're, we're hoping to make it 
gosh, it would be nice if we made it to eight generations, but I won't be around to see that. So I don't know, <laughs> but I understand what you're saying there. So now as a CEO, how can CEOs keep their <clears throat> brands? So like this eighth generation, how do they keep it fresh to bring in those new generations? They're the younger generation. That's a very good question. And so, and again, if you think about generations, people think in in those in these languages like boomers and millennials and, yes. and all the way to Gen Alpha today. And I think it's an interesting way to to think about it. I mean, it's a construct to think about it demographically and psychographically. Now, in B two B, I believe much more pragmatically. You bring it down to the there is this 955 uh, funnel model. I don't know if you are familiar you are with it, no. which is that in many B2B companies, unlike B2C, where you have a very rapid changeover and purchase yes. cycle, B2B has a, depending on the type, has a slower purchase cycle from once a week yes. to once every six months, six years. Six, uh... So the question, the 955 theory uh, is a different form of generational thinking. Essentially, what it says is, look, at any given time, there's only 5% of your target market in the market to buy. Right. Who are really ready to buy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, the 95 other ones, you need to work on two. And so the, the question is, if you have $100 to invest in marketing, how do you allocate your money to the 5% that are in the market and ready to buy now? Right. Uh, and the 95% that are that you need to keep into your orbit or get to know you so that in the future, when they're ready to buy and the five, yeah. next 5% 5 comes into the market, that's his next cohort that yeah. is ready to buy. So in B2B, I rather like to think in very pragmatic next 5% steps of the co of the next cohort coming in rather than, uh, uh, because these are people. I right. mean, these are yes. tangible people. You don't deal with millions. You deal with tens or hundreds or a couple of thousand. Yeah, they don't need, they don't need a million sales. You know, if they're no. selling, they're selling a piece of equipment that might be a hundred thousand dollars or $200,000. And you know who buys it or the team that buys it or the, the, the respective, uh, you know, right. in a company, you know, that it's, this is the buyer, this is the, the technical buyer, this is the legal person, the procurement yeah. person that needs yeah. to all be part of that decision. Uh, so you know who they are, you can map them. You have those 5% that are in and then the next 5%, the next 5% after that. Mm -hmm. The question becomes, should I invest? So a, a question that a B2B CEO might have is, do I need to invest 100 in the 5% today mm -hmm. and just do lead generation around that five and spend? But then you haven't built your brand. Right. Zero consideration about the next cohort. And think about it. You remember the whole idea in the past from nobody was fired to recommend IBM. Right. In the old right. days. Yeah, Today, yeah. not so sure anymore, but the <laughs> uh, the point is in B2B, your name needs to be known. Yes. You need to get, you need to be able to come into the consideration set if and when that next 5% is ready to, for the RFPs to buy, and you don't know exactly when the trigger moment comes. Right. But the reason why you need to be out there with your thought leadership, with your white papers, mm -hmm. with your branding, with your this, with your that, is you don't know when the next 5% comes. Yes. And so the the art, science, and discipline of marketing is probably spent a percentage of maybe it's 60, 40 to 60 percent of your brand on the future mm -hmm. of the 95, and the other 50 percent on the five today. This is the walk and chew gum discussion, where mm -hmm. there is no hard and fast rule. It should be 60, 40, no. or 20, 80. 
that there is a percentage of today and a percentage of tomorrow. As long as you understand why you're spending on the five and the 95. Yeah. Uh, and I believe that type of answer in terms of generational thinking, particularly for B2B, is a more pragmatic one than thinking like B2C in demographics and 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 boomers and and, and Gen Z Gen Z. Right. Yeah, it's very interesting because it, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, it all has to be about relationship building and it has to be about getting that brand out there and getting people to recognize your brand, but also having them realize that you know what they need. You understand their situation. You really know their industry or the title that they're in. And that's when they're going to, when they need that product or they need to buy that expensive piece of equipment, they're going to go to you because now they know that you totally understand them, that you are to going you, to right? be there. They need to know you. It starts with... yeah. In, in, in FMCG marketing, in the CPG world, in the classics of brands, you have two pyramids you need to build. Yeah. One is the pyramid of awareness, the awareness all the way to brand love, awareness, consideration, yeah. et cetera, and to ambassadorship. And then the other one is behavior. Mm -hmm. Have they tried you all the way to have they repeated, used you, et cetera. Yeah. But it starts with awareness. Yes. If nobody knows your brand and the 5% are used and People come and say, okay, who's going to build the sales of tomorrow? Where are the sales going to come from? Yeah. If there's no pipeline built with nobody that has ever heard your name, right. why would they know what you stand for? Yeah. And hence, a good CEO, CFO, CMO in B2B yeah. need to map out the today and the tomorrow because that's how you build again, pricing power yeah. and tangible assets and yeah. th those intangible assets. Yeah. Uh, so if they keep that in mind, you, the, the, probability that as a b2b company big or small that you're successful extrapolate i mean increase in exponentially increases yeah rather well, also, than working in silo and only working for today and also if you do that you have today and tomorrow that's when you're going to see those companies that have that nice steady growth year after year it's not going to be oh we get a client oh we've lost it oh we got a client we've mm -hmm. lost it no it's when you're doing this kind of keeping track of, yes, we're going to make these sales today, but yes, we're going to look here. Like someone asked me the other day, Donna, do you need any more clients? And I'm like, you always need clients. You've always got to be looking for clients. You've always got to keep your name out there. It has to reinforce your brand because you want to keep building your portfolio but you also have to give everyone who works with you that confidence that you know what you're doing. And that's why offering educational information to people, even if maybe they're not buying from you yet, is so very important. And it, but it comes at an investment. That's, that's yes. your investment in the future. Yes. And again, you, you asked about, Donna, you asked about the challenges. Yes. You need a CEO that has this multi-year perspective, the multi-year funnel perspective. In a B2B, there is business today, there's business tomorrow. There's, there's the, the people that farm the current business and the hunters for tomorrow. Right. And the hunters need to build that brand name out there, understand the needs, feedback the needs, uh, go back to the, the, the R&D department, which yeah. is, again, R&D is marketing. Product, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the P of product is the number one P of the right. four Ps. So when people tell me in B2B, uh, I'm in marketing, I, I do the P of communication. 
That's fine. Mm -hmm. You just do one. But your R&D friends that are working on product, they're marketing too. Yes. The people yeah. that are selling, this is the P of place. They're, I mean, And sales, they've all got to work together and understand You need to that. work yes. together. Peter yep. Drucker was using to say, great marketing makes selling unnecessary. Yes. And it's right. Yes. Yes. Well, now this, good, this parlays really nicely into our conversation about digital transformation is often misunderstood and can result in that loss of focus on fundamental marketing principles. You know, we touched on this a little mm -hmm. bit before we came on, and I wanted you to expand upon that more for us. Well, the... Um, very often I get a call and say, Chris, do you have a, we're looking for a, a marketer in company X. And then I always ask back and say, describe me what this person does. Yeah. Nine chances out of 10, it's somebody that will run the social media community or something in that nature. Mm -hmm. And then this gives me a chance to, it's a teachable moment to then in a very careful way to say, well, have you considered that marketing is bigger than that? Uh, social media is a subpart of the P of promotion of the four P's. Uh, <clears throat> and then we try to find out um, what else is going in the company and ultimately have a bigger conversation around how they build or not build pricing power, uh, etc. So digital to me is part of the toolbox of, right. uh, of marketers. And since particularly the last 23 years, ever since internet came on board, um, it has had a significant impact in in the customer journey, in the consumer discovery journey, I mean, in the way companies develop things. So across the value chain, no doubt. Yeah. But the why of marketing is immutable. Building sustainable pricing power, which is pricing power combined with purpose thinking, the why has not changed. Right. The who, uh, the fundamentals of who you need to be great marketeers the, what they need to know, the general management kind of thinking, finance-driven marketeers as such, hasn't changed. The, the digital toolbox that they need to know has changed, which is yes. the how toolbox. Right. Um, the what hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. The what meaning building brand health. Because mm -hmm. building brand health, which is this behavioral and attitudinal pyramids, uh, hasn't changed. Great value propositions that you need to develop them hasn't changed. Right. The toolbox has changed and actually has become overwhelming sometimes because yes. every day there is a new, <laughs> yeah. there's a new, I mean, last week it was threats. Yeah. Uh, it makes Twitter so last, whatever, last year. Yeah. Uh, the metaverse is dead, long live the metaverse. Web3 yeah. is dead, long live Web3. Um, you can understand the yeah. frustration from the both marketers actually and a lot of the non-marketers in saying marketers deal with snake oil is like mm -hmm. snake oil and it's digital snake oil today. Yes. Uh, that's my, hence my advice to people is guys, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please focus on the why. Yes. Uh, never forget what we're doing here, yeah. uh, which is building pricing, sustainable pricing power on the, and creating that intangible asset with these people and following building brand health and value propositions and the toolbox in the toolbox, we have digital stuff that we need, that can help us to be much smarter, more efficient. Uh, and what have you, and yeah. on which you can have a great ROI or not, but yeah. it's part of the toolbox. And, and it that's is not so the end product. It's a means to an end. It's not the end. Right, right. Well, you know, just like a carpenter, he's not going to get rid of all his tools and only hold on to the hammer. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know exactly. he's going to need all the tools because you need them for different 
things. You know, if you have a screw, okay, you need to have the screwdriver, but you have to have those different tools because also, like you said, different industries need different channels to use and you have different ways to market them. And that's why you have to have different tools in the toolbox, like toolbox, like you said. And, and it has uh, now to the, the credit, I mean, the, which I, I don't want to un underplay the impact that digital has had. It's not just oh. the 23 years ago. I mean, okay, internet came as a new communication channel. No, it's much more than that. Yeah. The, the, the fundamental impact that it has had, particularly for B2B uh, on the, well, for both B2B and B2C on the customer journey, the discovery yeah. process that people are going through, which marketers need to understand, the power that the customer and consumer have in terms of feedback loops, etc. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's immense how the it power is. shifts has ha have happened and marketers need to understand this. So the rules yes. of the game have changed because of digital. But remember, the rules of the game have changed in the how. Right. And therefore, in the skill set you want to see in your senior marketers, it has impacted the how and yeah. the who. It has not fundamentally changed the need for what and the especially the outcome of the why. Yeah. It has that, not changed that. That is so very important because you get this whole shiny object syndrome where people, oh, I got to go here and everything has to be that way. And it's, it's no, you know, first of all, know your unique brand. And like you said, you, you know, know who you are. What is your why? Yeah. And stay with that. And that is what's going to help your brand kind of stand out from everybody else because no one can repeat you if you're being unique to who you are. And particularly in an environment where, you know, you have these, uh, you can go online and say, what's happening in one minute on the, uh, in terms of communication, how many messages one tend to get in today's world and how that has evolved over the last 23 years. It's stunning. So unless you really know what your B2B company stands for, what your offering is all about and for yeah. who, for who this makes a difference in their lives, uh, you're going to get lost in the sea of communication opportunities that digital offers today and it keeps hitting every marketer with and say, oh, there is now threads and oh, there is now TikTok and how oh, there is this and how yes. there is that. You need to understand what these channels do and how they yes. may impact the customer journey for your product. Yes. And that's why I think some of the most successful companies out there are the ones that have maybe quarterly meetings where they go over that with the entire team. Yeah. So the entire team will know and they'll know things that they need to say no to because it doesn't fuel what they are trying to accomplish as a company. And those are the team. You and know. then you go back to the fundamentals of marketing, which is inside based. So in the case of B2B, you have your, you have your, I mean, B2B, you don't work with millions. You work with a select set yes. of uh, clients. If you understand these clients core this is marketing language then, yes. the core needs and wants, yeah. the served ones, the underserved ones, the ones where you can beat a competitor on, the, the pain points, the typical uh, value proposition creations. Yes. You focus on that core marketing work. From there, that's the what, the, the value proposition, the what, then you start building the communication plans around. It's not about, you don't start from how many impressions have we had on TikTok. You yeah. start from what's the proposition and how are you going to, to that set of people uh, within a 595 perspective. Yeah. You know, who's the next five? Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Literally itemizing who are the next couple of hundred people that whose life yeah, who who's need next? To be, 
yeah, who's next in our funnel yeah. and what do they need to know about us and what do we need to know about them? Yeah, and start laying the groundwork there. now and get yeah. ready. Yes. And then get ready. Totally great. All right, Chris, thank you so much for your time today. Everyone, please check out his books. As you'll see in the notes, I will list them there so you can check them out and ask Chris any questions you might have. No, no, thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. You're welcome. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the B2B Marketing Excellence Podcast. Please hit the subscribe button below so you don't miss our next episode. And in the meantime, if you'd like to talk to me, please feel free to send me an email to dpeterson at worldinnovators.com. Till next time, have a great day.